Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Drivers Meeting Podcast presented by Bet Online. The football season is back and better than ever. The teams are back on the gridiron, and we just had week two of the NFL season underway, as well as baseball still going on as well. So as always, BetOnline is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season with a new updated site and interface. Even more odds, props, and contests are available. So make sure to head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 100% welcome bonus. That's double your initial deposit just for signing up. Don't forget to use the promo code NFL100. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. And of course, another thank you to our other sponsor, Balance 7. Balance 7 helps, and this is a good product to use. You can see how Balance 7 has helped many other people. And right now, if you go to balance7.com and use the promo code BELIEVE, that is B-L-E-A-V, you'll get $10 off the 32-ounce bottle in the last 11 days, which is the perfect amount of time to feel the pH balancing drink go to work. Again, that's balance7.com. Use code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, at checkout. I did, and if it did, it worked for him, Lamar Odom, saying, as I mentioned in past broadcasts, it will work for you too. So, as I said, welcome back to the Drivers Meeting Podcast. I'm RJ Starcevic. Not here, unfortunately, is Tommy Joe Martins, but we will have him back next weekend uh, for a couple of great episodes we have planned. Great guests coming on ahead of the Talladega and Charlotte Roval weekends. Very excited about those, but... Thankfully, we have a lot to talk about after the race we just witnessed. The races we just writ- witnessed at Bristol Motor Speedway. We had ARCA racing. We had truck racing, Xfinity racing, cup racing. We kicked off the weekend uh, mainly with the truck race on Thursday night. It was a very eventful race, as the truck series usually is when they have a race under the lights. Lots of carnage, lots of beating and banging, and we ended up with a first-time winner, Chandler Smith, driving the 18 for Kyle Busch Motorsports, and very significant for him as well, because this puts him into the next round of the playoffs, where he really, at that situation, was in a must-win situation. So I've always been a fan of Chandler Smith. I think he's a very talented driver, and it's good to see him get to victory lane at a place, at a type of track that he has excelled at in the past, kind of short track racing and banging fenders and stuff like that so Chandler Smith gets to victory lane in the truck series unfortunately two drivers Austin Hill and Todd Gillen find themselves out of the playoffs now Tommy Joe isn't here to talk about it with me but I'm pretty sure that we both had Austin Hill and Todd Gilland in our final four. Now, that just proves how unpredictable the playoff system is, how unpredictable the playoffs in general are, as Austin Hill and Todd Gilland find themselves outside looking in and with no chance to now win the championship. Unfortunately, late race incident for Austin Hill. Todd Gilland dropped a few positions, and with the new winner, Chandler Smith, he gets himself into the race or into the next round of the playoffs, I should say, with his win. So very interesting as we look at the playoff field. John Hunter Sheldon Creed, Ben Rhodes, Zane Smith, Chandler Smith, Matt Crafton, Carson Hosevar, and Stuart Friesen remain. Big shockers from there is Stuart Friesen, who came in as the last seed in the playoffs, and he locked himself in in the middle of the race on points. He did so well at the start of this round that he was able to just clinch a spot and a great work by Stuart Friesen and that 52 team, as well as Carson Hosevar pointing his way into the next round of the playoffs. Didn't really have as much of a playoff point cushion to lean back on. He gets in to the next round, officially the round of eights, as we look forward to that. They go racing this weekend at Las Vegas as well. On the Xfinity Series side, we saw another very, very interesting race, and we'll I'll go into detail on that in the Xfinity Series later in the show as we have a couple uh, guys, Jeremy Clemens and Justin Haley, that will provide some input later on in the show. But an overall overview of the race we saw at Bristol was just a classic short track race. We know what the Xfinity Series can do. I've said before that we could go to a parking lot and we could put on a great race with the Xfinity Series cars, and that is exactly what we saw in a way. The Xfinity Series is a great series. We've said this time and time again, 
and we saw an incredible finish. I mean, incredible Bristol-like finish with Austin Sindrick and A.J. Allmendinger crashing, coming to the line. Justin Haley, I mean, Justin Allgaier was trying to get in there, had the lead at one point, beating and banging. I'm sure all of you have seen the overtime finish. If you haven't, please go watch it. Riley Herbst was even in the mix as he gets himself a playoff spot. But just incredible, the racing that was put on and just a crazy finish. I mean, I was blown away uh, by how crazy by how impact filled that race was and the finish uh unbelievable so ultimately sideways across the line and with a destroyed race car aj allmendinger won the race with austin Cindric in second like i mentioned riley herbst was able to work his way up there into the third position justin allgaier fell back to fourth and brandon jones who really needed a solid run uh as momentum really uh going into the playoffs rounds out the top five and fifth sam Mayer had a very impressive race unfortunately comes home ninth but still still a great finish for him but probably not the result he wanted at a track that he knows he can excel at and has won at before in the truck and arca series so he was looking for that win there as well daniel hammock rounded out the top 10 at a solid race as well big story there jeremy clemens who finished 13th but the big story of that big story is that he locked himself into the playoffs on points for the first time he was in the playoffs before but it was with his win at road america so this time jeremy clemens we talked about this on the show before stayed consistent all year and was able to get the job done get himself into the playoffs and get his team into the playoffs i spoke to him earlier and as i mentioned um we will be getting to him later in the show Another impressive run out of Brandon Brown, 14th place. Unfortunately, misses the playoffs, but still an impressive run for him and his team. And really what I'm looking at here, uh, Jimmy Means Racing with a top 20, the 52 of Greg Galding. And let's talk about a team that really needed that. Low in the owner's points. If you've listened to the podcast all year, you've probably heard their name mentioned in the owner's points battle. Uh, because they have been down there all year. Unfortunately, been DNQing from races, having bad finishes, mechanical issues, so honestly, just a, a great, great run for them to be able to have that type of run. And now they only sit two points behind Mike Harmon Racing, the 74 in the owner standings as they are 39th. Doesn't really matter a whole bunch right now as the only race coming up with qualifying or practice of qualifying, I should say, is Phoenix, the season finale. So it's going to be interesting to see how that pans out, but... Uh, DGM Racing right above them in the owner's points. JD, the 15. So the owner's points battle, not as much of a huge factor as of now, except for those bonuses. And that we've talked about before with myself, Tommy Joe Martins, that top 20 owner's points battle is heating up in the Xfinity series. You have the RSS Racing Ryan C car in 18th, but they're kind of out of range. The real battle right here is from 19th down to about 25th. Even I could stretch it to 26th as well because anything can happen over these next few races. So you have 19th, the 36th car of Alex LeBay, only just five points or no, they are tied with their DGM racing teammate, the 92 of Josh Williams for 19th. Then both are five points above Tommy Joe Martin's 44 and 21st, which is only two points above the R Motorsports 23, which is only three points above the 26 of Sand Hunt Racing. You stretch that about 30 points back and you'll get the 48 big machine racing car. You'll get the number, sir, is that the six or the four? I believe it's the four JD Motorsports car and the number 17 SS Green night racing car so it is a big battle for that top 20 which is big for these teams that we've stated on this podcast before very important to get those bonuses payment for the teams things like that but we'll round it all up back to bristol kind of note on that a little bit later in the show like i said but we'll note it on back to bristol incredible finish austin Cindric was so close to getting that win but ultimately aj allmendinger wins the race wins the regular season championship as well so five extra bonus playoff points or no 15 extra bonus playoff points going into the playoffs which is going to be exciting now xfinity series we know the cup series just had their first three races of the playoffs we'll get to that in just a second but the xfinity series first round is the cup series second round so xfinity kicks it off with las vegas this weekend then talladega then the charlotte roval so a lot of lot of room for uh just wild card stuff to happen so it's going to be very crazy to see 
what type of stuff happens at those tracks. And we know it's going to be wild card for the Cup Series as well. So going to be interesting. We'll go over the Xfinity Series playoff field here real quick. Uh, we know Austin Sindrick is going to be going in tied with playoff points as A.J. Allmendinger. They both have 44, and that's really been the head-to-head battle this season at the majority of racetracks. You have Justin Allgaier coming in with the third seed, always going to be lingering around. Could he finally get that championship? Noah Gregson has found himself as the fourth seed with an incredible surge over the recent uh, few weeks, getting some stage wins, getting some race wins. Noah Gregson finds himself in the fourth seed in the fifth seed you'll find justin haley with about 15 playoff points for colleague racing didn't have that win until daytona which was great to get but he has also had a very very good amount of stage wins this season which has propelled him up the rankings uh, as well as daniel hemrick who sits in the sixth seed no win this season no win of his career but he has been one of the most consistent points drivers this season obviously still looking for for that win but will that consistency pay off as we go into these eliminator rounds Jeb Burton in the seventh seed got his win at Talladega the rain shortened race earlier this season looking to rebound and have some better finishes better runs uh, as we look into these playoffs we go back to Talladega this round could that be something for him and his colleague teammates probably will Number eight seed, Harrison Burton for Joe Gibbs Racing. He'll move to the Cup Series next year, but obviously looking to rebound and kind of finish off strong in the Xfinity Series. We know he had a a great few group of wins last year and has none this year. Only eight playoff points going into the year. You have Myatt Snyder in the ninth seed who, you know, won Homestead, which was a crazy finish. We know kind of how that should have or could have gone. Myatt Snyder got the win there, locked himself in the playoffs very early, but haven't seen too much out of that program uh, as of late. So definitely looking to catch some fire here as we go into this first round of the playoffs. And some team that's definitely looking to catch fire, and I noted of their momentum earlier when they got that fifth place finish at Bristol this weekend was Brandon Jones. Only three playoff points in past few years. He's had at least one win usually every year. A few wins last year. He had a handful of wins. Now this year, none. And not great runs as well. They've had just a lot of things happen. Lots of incidents that, you know, sometimes really weren't even his fault, weren't their fault. Got caught up in a lot of other people's messes and unfortunately find themselves back in the 10th seed. But anything can happen as we go into these playoffs. And now the bottom two seeds are really the ones to watch. The 98. We went to the playoffs last year and the 98 was the championship favorite. This year, they just barely made it in the playoffs, really made it only because of Michael Annette's like unfortunate circumstances, you know, his injuries. It was really looking like it was going to be a must-win situation for Riley Herbst. Then they kind of caught that break, find themselves in the playoffs. They've had some great runs recently. That's no shot at the 98 team. Riley Herbst has seemed to at least find a groove. Third place at Bristol's, had top 10 runs over the last few weeks. Can he get it done? He enters the playoffs at the 11th seed with one singular playoff point. Now, there's one driver in this group with no playoff points, and that is the 51 of Jeremy Clemens. The first year of the playoffs, they have made it on points. As I noted, he won Road America in 2016, got in on that win, and he said earlier that he didn't even feel like they were that good that year. They really just had a great race at Road America, made the playoffs, didn't really even have the right stuff to compete. And this year, he feels like they have a great opportunity to go compete. I mean, we've mentioned on this podcast so many times the consistent runs out of Jeremy Clemens at mile and a half, short tracks, road courses. You start to circle them off, and you're like, wow, this team is actually really consistent. You can't really really you know not like dial down on one part or one kind of track uh to really boost his success off of because they've just been consistent all around this season so it's going to be really interesting to see how jeremy clemens gets through the playoffs i know i kind of he was a guy that was kind of looked like a tyler reddick way to kind of get in the playoffs consistent all season just kind of weaseled his way in i shouldn't say weaseled jeremy clemens has been above the playoff cutoff the entire year uh, he has not been below, so it's been an incredible year for Jeremy Clemens. Once he was even top, he was top ten majority of the year, really. So great runs for Jeremy Clemens. Great to see him in the playoffs, and the Xfinity Series playoffs is coming up very soon. We will note on that in just a little bit. But there is definitely room for discussion on the NASCAR Cup Series race that happened on Saturday night. We had the Xfinity race Friday night, and we wondered. Like we do sometimes after a lot of these Xfinity races, is the Cup Series really going to follow this up with a great show? 
the sparks were flying and Xfinity great racing was going on. And can the Cup Series follow this up? Well, I believe they did. The Cup Series uh, was a great race, 500 laps. We know Bristol under the lights is always going to put on a very good show. And I think the way the track has been prepped the last few years has been kind of a median for me. If you listen to this podcast for a while or even see me on Instagram, I do not like PJ1 Traction Compound. I don't like artificializing racing surface to get a certain product because when you do that and it fails, which it has, it's really, really bad. Worse than if you would have just, you know, left it how it was. So... When we look forward to that, we basically what they did with the track is they had it, you know, they laid down the compound for the Xfinity race and they didn't resurface it for the cup race, which I was fine with because I felt like the cup race, the ability to move around the racetrack, to run different grooves, to run at the top, run at the middle, run the line, uh, the, the onboard cam from Kevin Harvick, the final, you know, those final runs were fascinating because he was, you know, entering middle or, you know, exiting high. Some cars were entering high, exiting low, exiting middle. It's great to see those change of lines instead of, you know, running the bottom is classic old Bristol, which people were able to do, right? And the track changes over time. So when you don't resurface or, or re-put that PJ1 to where it is super fresh when the cars take the track, I just don't like that. I'm not a big fan of that, especially in the days where, you know, we don't have any practice or qualifying. I don't feel like it provides the best racing. Now, Bristol, either way, is going to provide a great show. It's going to provide a great show. It's going to provide a great race. But I feel like this year, the way they did it uh, with the PJ1 and, and last year uh, for the spring race is really what I go for uh, as well as the night race as well. But the spring race last year, no practice. You know, They kicked it off with just the Cup Series and they had it on the inside, but it wore out as the race went, um, you know, and I felt like it provides good racing because the track changes over time. And I know not applying that PJ because, you know, when you, when you don't even apply it, it's always going to be there. It's always going to play a factor when you lay that PJ one down. Like if we were to just never, you know, put fresh PJ one down again at Texas motor speedway, we would still feel the effects of the PJ one that were applied, you know, two, three years previously. Uh, we've seen that in IndyCar. That's why IndyCar can't put on a show there anymore because you know we've ruined the track at Texas Motor Speedway so much to the point where even if the PJ1 isn't freshly applied, it's still there. You know you can't race up there. It's still either going to be slick or it's still it's still going to be there in some way or fashion. We've kind of learned with some of these tracks. So I know I think the balance. I, I I'm a fan of no PJ1 at all, but I'm also a fan of meeting in the middle for people who maybe want it. You know NASCAR who wants it. And fans that don't. So, you know, the way we can do it is, hey, we'll apply it at the beginning of the week. It's better when there's practice so we can work it in. Uh, but unfortunately, you know, sometimes we have the trucks in the Xfinity Series really be the experiment for the cup race. The Xfinity Series is going to put on a good race either way. Truck Series might be chaos. I mean, Xfinity might be chaos too. But the cup series ultimately usually benefits from those experimental uh, purposes, I should say. And this weekend, I felt like it was great uh, where the racing was, where everybody was able to run, multi-groove. You could run the top, run the bottom. People were changing lanes throughout the run. It wasn't really a dominant lane. I mean, drivers had their lane that they picked, that they wanted to run. Um, but if they were forced to run another lane, it wasn't really the worst thing in the world unless they were stuck behind a lap car. And there's nowhere you can go when that happens. But they were able to move to the bottom, roll the middle, run the top, run the middle if they needed to, and still kind of either pick up ground or maintain their gap between the car in front of them or behind them. You know, Kevin Harvick, because we watched his onboard uh, cam for a while, uh, he was able to, you know, run the top. He entered middle, rolled the top on the exit, and once he kind of got to the back bumper of whoever he was challenging, whether it was Ryan Blaney or Chase Elliott or Kyle Larson, he was able to dive in, roll the bottom, try to roll the center. Sometimes it didn't work. Sometimes he slid up and, and it didn't work. But most of the time it did roll the center, make the pass, or roll the middle and, and make the pass. Uh, or even if they went to the bottom, roll the top and make the pass. So it was very, you know, as a race fan, uh, it was very great to see a race like that. 500 laps and I was dialed in the whole time and a lot of people were. Um, the stage finishes were great as well. They were very intense, uh, had a lot of great battles to finish out those. And of course the race finish, 
uh, which I'll get to here in just a second. We had Kevin Harvick going for his first win of the season. Clearly looked like old Kevin Harvick, old four team, I should say, because that four team's been missing it this year. Stuart Haas Racing has been missing it. And Kevin Harvick looked to be on the track to get his first win of the 2021 season, which is crazy. We were saying that a year later after he won his final race of 2020 and ultimately the last race he has won in the NASCAR Cup Series. So Kevin Harvick in the new Subway threads, the new Subway paint scheme, out front battling with Chase Elliott. He had been battling with Ryan Blaney previously earlier in the race as well, but he seemed to just have a great long-run car, and that's what I felt like they had been missing this season, when, even when they were able to go up there and lead a few laps, like at Darlington, uh, like at New Hampshire earlier in the season. They just weren't able to hang on to it. They, they lost it. The long-run car was lost. They showed hope, but they lost it on the long run. And Rodney Childers is a guy last year where sometimes they didn't roll off good. Even in their dominant season, they didn't roll off good most of the time, that four car, or at least when they want, how they wanted to, really. Uh, and Rodney Childers was able to get that car dialed in. Kevin Harvick was able to adjust as a driver, and they won a heck of a lot of races or finished even runner-up in a heck of a lot of races last season because of that. So what did I see at Bristol this weekend? I saw an old-school Rodney Childers, Kevin Harvick. That four car is a factor again type of race uh they rolled off probably not maybe how he wanted to still running up in the top five top 10 but he wasn't race winning speed and if this was last year we would have expected him to be in the lead right off the bat but this year you know we weren't so you know they make a few pit stops obviously make a few adjustments throughout the race kevin harvick you know make a few strategy calls as well i'm sure kevin harvick's able to adjust as a driver to the car and you know is is running his lane that we didn't really see anybody anybody else run and it paid off four car gets to the front you know whether it was just on strategy or on speed we ended up figuring out that it was on speed and that four car was fast and then that leads us to what happened at the end of the race so the four car gets into the nine of chase elliott's and i mean a uh, a very very crazy battle towards the end of that race uh, Kevin Harvick, Chase Elliott, side by side for a good amount of laps. Harvick had kind of ran him down over time. They were catching lap traffic. Chase Elliott was getting stuck behind lap traffic. Everybody's getting stuck behind lap traffic. And then here we are, and they're side by side. So I believe this kind of started with about 30, 40 laps to go, really was the side by side action between Kevin Harvick and Chase Elliott. We know Bristol Racing, uh, we know these cup cars as well. We don't see as much beating and banging as we did before. Because of kind of how the cars are built, uh, I know some incidents we saw were to just cut a tire anyways, but there's also some incidents we saw uh, that were just a result of the current cup body. So there, it was kind of 50-50 between the incidents that we saw. But ultimately, uh, I believe the scenario was Harvick was trying to roll the inside on Elliott, trying to make the pass, sees Josh Balicki up ahead, and the lap traffic played a factor all night, and especially in the Cup Series where the gap is so huge. I mean, we talk about the Xfinity cars, and now they're not you know, that slow um, towards the back of the field because everyone's competing. Everyone's trying hard for every single spot. They're battling for 34th back there in the Xfinity Series. Uh, but the Cup Series, the gap is very big from 30th on back. So, yeah, got a lot of slower traffic on the track, so... Harvick ultimately goes to the inside. Chase Elliott tries to pin, you know, Chase Elliott behind the lap car of Blicky, which he does successfully do uh, midway down the back straightaway. Now, you see this all race. You know, you see guys pin each other behind the lap car uh, to try and get that spot. But it's ultimately really a decision on the guy that gets pinned. Are you willing to kind of lay off and you know, kind of give up that spot so you can save your race car, not risk pushing it three wide, not risk trying to make a crazy move on a lap car, which we've seen in the past not work out for some drivers, or are you going to fight it? Are you going to kind of try to ease your way down the racetrack, kind of try to split the middle and fight for that lead? Now, if that happened in stage one, stage two, like it usually did, the driver that's getting pinned isn't going to do anything. They're, you know, they're going to play nice. They're going to back off and they're uh, going to save their race car for later in the race. But when there's 30 laps to go in the Bristol night race, there's no backing off. Uh, it is, you are going to rub fenders. You are going to push it as hard as you can. And that's exactly what Chase Elliott probably felt 
uh, going into that corner. Now, I'm not sure uh, if Harvick, because I know all these interviews post-race were just adrenaline. I mean, no one was really breaking it down from a, a racing standpoint. Um, and I kind of had to watch a lot of replays after it too to kind of break it down from a racing standpoint because I was feeling the adrenaline. I mean, that finish was crazy. But ultimately, it really looked like a move where, you know, it didn't look like Kevin Harvick expected him uh, to be on his outside, whether it was a spotter issue, whether that was just Kevin Harvick not being aware of the situation. Um, it looked like Chase Elliott uh, obviously did not want to be pinned behind Josh Blicky in that situation. I wouldn't either. Nobody would. Everyone's going to probably, with 30 laps to go at Bristol, force the middle. Um, and that's what he did. Uh, it was kind of at a convenient time because it was. It looked like it was at the time where Kevin Harvick wasn't going to let him do it. But Kevin Harvick also eventually had to turn for the corner, which he did You know, on entry to three, which kind of allowed that hole to open up instead of rubbing fenders at first for Chase Elliott is what it looked like. They get into the corner side by side and, you know, Kevin Harvick didn't say it. Uh, I don't know if it was a thing where he like lost air, you know, if, if Elliot got in so far on his corner panel on entry that it freed up Kevin Harvick's car, who knows? Uh, but ultimately Kevin Harvick washes up the racetrack, you know, rubs fenders with Chase Elliott just enough to cut, uh, I believe it was the left front tire on the number nine Hooters Chevrolet and Chase Elliott has to pit. They have a little trouble on pit road. They end up putting on the wrong tires because, you know, they've talked about at the top of the show, NBC did, uh, of how hard pit road is really to navigate, to get on communication between your crew chief, spotter, and the driver. It's hard. So Chase Elliott comes on pit road. They change four tires uh, when they, you know, could have just changed two. But they also had to repair the damage on the right side or the left side. Or, yeah, it was the right side. The left side, no, left side. <laughs> had to repair the damage on the left side as well. Um, you know, kind of pull the fenders out, stuff like that, get on the track. So the real, real drama starts when Chase Elliott gets back onto the racetrack, whether this was planned or not, because I don't feel like it was planned for them to come back out right in the, you know, the midst of the lead, uh, which is what happened to Kyle Busch earlier as well, when he had to pit, ended up passing leaders, uh, got away, was all fine, makes the next round of the playoffs. But Chase Elliott comes out, um, I think it was, yeah, first it was behind Kevin Harvick, and obviously, since they changed four tires, he's got much fresher tires. So he comes out behind Harvick, breezes right by him. When he does, he pulls over this sharp crossover move on exit, gets up right behind Harvick, and then gets up right next to him. Looked like they kind of banged, he banged his door a little bit, kind of to send a message. And you know, when this happened, I was like, yeah, yeah, he's, he's sending a message to Kevin. Uh, you know, not happy, uh, and we'll see how this finish plays out. But then I kind of drew the dots together. I was like, oh, wait a second. Looked at the car that was in second place. Looked at the car that was in third place. Kyle Larson, William Byron, Hendrick Motorsports teammates. And I'm like, yeah, about 20 laps to go. I don't think uh, Chase Elliott's going to let Kevin Harvick win this race. And that is exactly what happened um, at the end of that race. Because um, Chase Elliott, obviously... Had four fresh tires. He was blown away to get by Kevin Harvick and then kind of just sat there and stalled himself out. Got in Kevin Harvick's way and ultimately, finally, with about, you know, I was thinking Harvick might have been able to hang on to it, which is crazy because Kyle Larson was was gaining at points and then he was losing. I was like, he's got to get there now. Elliot's kind of uh, holding Harvick up. But Kyle Larson ends up getting there in time. Uh, ended up kind of pulling like a slider, good old slider on Kevin out of turn four. And it looked like Harvick tried to, you know, it looked like he, he backed up the exit and tried to go low and ultimately got into the back of Larson. And then kind of just like, I felt like, I don't know if it was, I felt like he should have driven the inside of him there and try to pull another slider because he knew Larson was probably going to go to the top if Harvick was going to run low. So it looked like, because I was like, oh, smart, Harvick, he backed it up. Smart move by Larson to slide him. Smart move by Harvick to back up the corner and kind of get the exit that he had been getting, but cut it a little low more so he could get to the inside and kind of try to maybe pull another slider on Kyle Larson in the corner. That's not what happened. And kind of got in the back of him. I don't know if he was trying to wreck him on the straightaway or something like that. Kind of just mess him up on corner entry so he could make a dive. Uh, but ultimately, didn't work out. Chase Elliott then, I think as soon as Larson got the lead, Chase Elliott yeah, kind of dropped back, let Larson go, uh, and then kind of ran next to Harvick as they crossed the line. So, And then that led to what happened after the race, the argument. Uh, they were right in each other's face after the race on pit road. Um, I know a lot of people have been vocal about this on Twitter, about people kind of getting into fights. I don't like it either. 
Um, even, you know, when it's a fight, it's a fight, you know, you can split it up, but I feel like when it's a talk, there doesn't need to be people holding people back. You know, there doesn't need to be people in the way of a conversation trying to happen. Um, when someone starts throwing hands, then that's different. Like people are going to split that up. NASCAR officials, I mean, that's their job to not let people, I guess, beat each other up on pit road as we've seen before. But, you know, um, yeah, I just don't think there needs to be a whole crowd of people. I mean, I get media and uh, cameras and stuff like that, but it's the people that are kind of like right there, you know, like the crew guy, the random crew guys that just come up and start holding people back for no reason when, I mean, they weren't, I mean, who knows? Maybe they were going to throw down right there. I mean, Kevin Harvick said he wanted to rip his head off, and I know they were kind of throwing some shoves, but usually the shoves, I feel like the shoves start when, crew members start holding them back because they feel like they're not going to get their point across and then they just start pushing people we've seen that so much um you know with with what's happened in the past because they feel like they're not going to get a conversation and so hey let's do it <laughs> let's do it physically i mean we saw the the one i could think of is gordon kozlowski they were trying to talk to each other crew members were holding him back from talking to him um and then it just ended up in a fight i mean who knows if it would have been a fight in the first place if they were just able to talk about it um Kozlowski didn't seem like he really wanted to talk and the crew members were obviously holding Jeff back and the MVP of that situation was Kevin Harvick pushing Kozlowski into the pile and uh we saw what happened after that so I feel like the main instigators of these fights are really the you know the crew guys the staff whoever which I understand the crew guys want to fight um but you know it uh it doesn't it doesn't need to be like that so my stance on this situation and everything that transpired. Um, obviously, I like to see clean races for the win without anything interfering with that. I get why Chase Elliott was upset. I get why he went out there and you know showed his displeasure. I thought that uh, Chase Elliott, you know, driving in the door of him uh, of Harvick on the back straight when we came out of pit road was a pretty good way to kind of get him back and. You know, getting even usually, you know, sometimes happens down the road as well. But, you know, sitting in front of Harvick, you kind of kind of got the got the message that that was going to happen, that Kyle Larson was going to win that race after that happened. So, um, you know, I wasn't a huge, huge fan of it. Uh, Chase Elliott being upset is justified. It's Bristol. Uh, the same thing. I mean, Joey Logano was upset when when Chase Elliott drove him into the wall coming to the finish, and Joey Logano had the the right to be you know upset with Chase Elliott after that situation. So, um, you know, it's kind of like we saw the same things a few years in a row um, with you know Chase Elliott not getting it to stick on the bottom, you know, running Joey Logano into the wall, ending both of their races at that time. Uh, but this time it was Kevin Harvick kind of getting the Elliott. None of them hit the wall, but it was able to cut, you know, Chase Elliott's tire um, and end his race. So, I mean, his race on the track wasn't over. It was obviously played a part in the finish. But, you know, unfortunate all around for, you know, the four team, for the nine team as well. They were both looking to get wins. Uh, carried it into the next round with momentum. And I think this is going to be a rivalry that, that carries over, um, you know, even at, even at Kevin Harvick's age, I don't. I still think he's not the guy you want to piss off. And Chase Elliott, we've seen him kind of get in these scuffles before, and he has stood his ground uh, when he ran over, you know, Joey Logano at Bristol. He, he stood his ground for that, and when he was run over by Denny Hamlin at Martinsville, I believe 2017, he stood his ground in that situation. Ended up getting payback later as well. Um, so. We know Chase Elliott's been a guy that, you know, he's still young. He's now a champion, and he's been able to stand his ground. But, you know, we'll see. Is Kevin Harvick still the guy that you don't want to piss off? Is this going to carry on down the down the road? Uh, it is going to be so interesting to see. And if that happened in the first race of this round, I think we really would have seen that with all the short track racing going on. But now now it's kind of unknown. You know, it's it's really hard in today's, today's cup racing to – you know, make it known that you're pissed at somebody at Las Vegas, you know, cause you're going full throttle and it's all air. And if you touch somebody, your car's done for the race, you know? So, uh, unfortunately in today's, uh, cup era of racing, you can't really show your displeasure at Las Vegas, I guess. I mean, you never know. We could see some crazy things happen. Talladega, hopefully nobody would show their, uh, show their displeasure with somebody there cause that could probably wipe up half the field. And, you know, we haven't really seen that happen, uh, 
in a while intentional wrecks at talladega because everybody is smart enough to know that that's not a good idea but where we could see it is a place where chase elliott is very good and has won the last 10 billion times we've gone there and that is the charlotte roval so could that be a place where harvick makes it uh makes it known that he is still upset with chase elliott and drivers never forget Drivers never forget that is something we've learned over time. So it's going to be very interesting to see uh, if Kevin Harvick or Chase Elliott forget just a slight bit and kind of let it slide or what conversation they had in that hauler uh, post-race. Oh, we haven't heard from any of them since. So it will be interesting to see how that plays out. But it resulted in a great finish, a great TV finish, a great show. Everyone was excited. And it led us to discussing, why did we put dirt on this racetrack? You know, and we said that when that was first announced. And I think bringing dirt into a NASCAR race is is good. I think it's great to have it as a one-off, a dirt race. When the truck series brought the truck series to Eldora, they brought it to a dirt track, right? When they went to that dirt track, it had a dirt feel. It had the right people prepping the racetrack, right? You know, it had Tony Stewart prepping the racetrack, but also the right people. Uh, the right people, the right fans. They were all dirt track fans, all NASCAR fans, all Tony Stewart fans. And the event lasted for so long because it was put on so well. Uh, it was put on so well. The track was just somehow they made it work for the truck series at Eldora. You were able to run everywhere. You were able to run the very top, rip the top like you would in, in a normal dirt race. You were able to rip the bottom. You were able to pull sliders. We haven't seen that this year. We had two of them. We had two dirt races. We had the dirt race at Bristol, which I feel like it's not a dirt race. I think it's stupid. Um, <laughs> as far as a dirt racing product, uh, it's stupid. Now, if we're going to talk about the show that it's going to put on, the tickets it's going to sell, it's probably going to put on a lot. It's probably going to get a lot of viewers. It's probably going to sell a lot of tickets. It already did this year. But if we're talking about dirt racing, if they're hyping this up as an old school dirt race, it's not a dirt race. Uh, by the time that Bristol track, you know, and who knows, they could prep it totally different next year and blow our minds and it could be a great show. But the way they prepped it this year, the way I think it could only be prepped uh, is what we saw this year. Uh, we saw just the dirt wearing off. Um, you saw the the vision, uh, the vision not being able to see, the dirt not being ready, the dirt being too wet, the dirt being too dry, the dirt not not having enough dirt at one spot of the track because it all wore it off because the cars are so heavy, um, and being on banking as well, not really being able to run the top at all. It really turned into old school Bristol short track race. Uh, I think that's why people are baffled. Like, Joey Logano won a dirt race. That's crazy. Like, they were saying all the favorites are going to be Kyle Larson and Christopher Bell. Like, not really. I mean, you're not running it like a dirt track at that point. And someone that ran the race can speak on that. I didn't run the race. Um, I know you all were, what you guys were thinking. You were expecting me to enter the race. But no, I didn't. Um, but it, it just looked like an old school Bristol race. Running the bottom, pulling some bump and runs. Um, and, you know, I... I it, that's really what it was. Joey Logano won the race. Uh, and he had Denny Hamlin right behind him. The The dirt ringers wrecked out of the race. Pretty much all the dirt ringers wrecked out of the race. So, um, you know, when we talk about things, I think that I mentioned, I think this was off there to Tommy Joe, but the baseball field of dreams event, right? They go there. This was primarily a, you know, kind of both. It was a TV experience and it was also experience for the people that attended the race right the 8,000 capacity i believe that they had at that mini stadium that they built for this event and i know people were talking about it on twitter kind of having that feel for nascar if we were to go back and have a race at north wilkesboro right if we were to have even even if we put dirt on it like tommy joe says let's have the all-star race at north north wilkesboro call it like the hall of fame race do the hall of fame ceremony there make it a tradition for nascar you know, if we're going to go to a dirt race, why don't we go to a dirt track? Um, and I'm sure it will still put on the viewers for the television. You just have to promote it right. And I'm a guy that really, really looks into and appreciates great promotion, great broadcasts, great coverage. Uh, of course, another great shout out to NBC this weekend for the incredible coverage. I mean, especially at the end of that cup race this weekend. I mean, it was just flat out crap. I mean, you had three cameras going on, three battles, three intense things going on at the same time it was so hard to keep track of everything um but it was just great coverage by nbc but i'm a guy that just really really looks into the promotion part of everything and 
branding. And I think that's so important when it comes to these events because, you know, if you're just going to say that, oh, the MLB went out and built a stadium in the middle of nowhere, 8,000 capacity, and they're going to host it on primetime TV and expect it to be a big thing. If you just heard those words, would you think it would really be something? But when you look into what they did to promote it, when you look at the stories behind it, that is why people turned into that game. Maybe people that weren't outside of baseball, but the true baseball fans tuned into that game. And that brings up the question that we talked about with Kyle Petty last week, which if you haven't listened to that uh, that podcast, please do. It is such, I learned so much from that. Um, So informational with having Kyle Petty on. Um, But yeah, that's when you kind of ask that question. Um, Are, which fans are we going for? You know, are we going for the fans outside? Are we going too much? Because you're always going to look for, people outside of the sport you're always going to want to bring new people in but are we going are you going too far you know are you going too far with what we're doing um i think the la coliseum before everyone thinks i'm just hating on everything that nascar is doing i think the la coliseum event is is great for for racing it's a short track race yeah we're going to put it in a football stadium i don't know how that's going to go but i think what's good about it is it's an exhibition race right do these things when it doesn't matter Like if we were to like, I think it's the fact that we're replacing a points race during the season at Bristol, a track that is just incredible when it has its normal surface um, with a dirt race, putting dirt in the track. And I think that's just the big point in all of this. Like where are we going uh, with the crowd that we have now and and what fans are we listening to when we're making these choices and i mean we've talked about this endlessly on the podcast me and tommy joe um you know about why we're making certain changes what are we doing things like that um but yeah when i look at the la coliseum event i think great exhibition race we're going to kick off the season with the clash marketable thing any team's welcome to join any team's welcome you don't like it's not like everybody's gonna go. Not everybody's gonna go. It's good, but it's also gonna be be a great chance to promote your sponsors, promote the cars, promote the amazing uh, number position that we've put the numbers at. Because um, I can't tell what the sponsors are when the numbers in the middle. I mean, that next gen test, boy, I found out Bass Pro Shop sponsors Austin Dillon. It was crazy. I was like, whoa. I was like, now that we move the number towards, yeah, Bass Pro Shops. Oh, I get it now. Um, but anyway, sarcasm behind. Um, I think that the Bristol dirt race just doesn't need, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of different opinions. I mean, it was a cool event when it happened, but how many more years is it going to be cool like that? You know, how many more years are they going to keep selling as much tickets they did for the first time? You know, uh, same thing with uh, Knoxville trucks. I feel like if Knoxville trucks was a bigger hit, um, I felt like if the track was better for the racing, uh, it would have been a, a better draw, possibly. Also, the presentation of the event um, as well on Fox Sports 1, I feel like, could have been a little bit better. But, you know, the Bristol Dirt Race, how long is this going to be a thing? How long is this going to last? And I really didn't think it was realistic to go out here and, in the first year of the next-gen car, basically a month or two, I think, you know, with the schedule, the 2022 schedule that came out last week, I can check the official date for verification, but we're talking, yeah, Bristol Dirt, April 17th. We're talking just a few months after we put the next-gen cars on the track for a race for the first time. We're going to be building dirt cars out of these next-gen cars, you know, for, for a dirt race on Bristol Dirt. And also converting one of the best on-track Basically, I mean, when is the last weekend that you can recall that we had the racing that we did this weekend? The racing, the finishes. And it proves, like I've said before, we don't need to manufacture racing. We don't need to manufacture cautions, finishes, racing to have great races. Uh, I feel like like we've had this round. And I'm upset. I'm sad that this round of the first round of the playoffs is over i think i mentioned it in past podcasts but this is my favorite round of the playoffs darlington richmond bristol because those are just like dale jr says they're old school and in today's nascar world where the mile and a half is just our i mean i don't know who's who's got the most power under that engine um which is the case at most tracks but 
it's you're not wheeling the car like you are at Las Vegas this weekend, like they did the last three races. Darlington, we saw a great natural played out race with green flag runs, green flag pit stops, tire wear, and a lot of incidents involving with the playoff implications as well. Everybody rated that a great race. Go to Richmond. Richmond, I felt like I uh, was not the greatest race. I felt like we shouldn't go to Richmond. I know a lot of people, they, they called the action track before. It's not the action track anymore. <laughs> like, whatever they done, you know, with the current cup cars, with that track, changing it up, um, it's not the action track anymore. It's just a track that's going to have a lot of long green flag runs, a lot of tire wear, lots of strategy. So that's what I go in expecting. If you go into one of those races, and maybe it's the promoters of the event, that's why I feel like promotion is huge. If you promote Richmond as, like, if the commercial's nothing but crashes and like three wide racing and clips from 2009, like that's not what we're going to see at Richmond in 2021. And that's not what we have seen the past three years at that racetrack. It's going to be green flag racing. It's going to be tire wear. It's going to be strategy. It's like, it's like what I just said. And so that's what I expected going to the Richmond race. And that's why I sort of enjoyed it because like that's, I didn't have like over expectations for the event. I wasn't expecting to see the 10 car pile up in the back straight away i wasn't expecting to see three wide racing overtime restarts like that's that's just richmond like that's what i expected it was the second race of the round i knew bristol's the next week now bristol bristol you expect excitement you expect bump and runs you expect tempers flaring you're probably gonna expect a, a wreck here and there and that's exactly what we get literally every single time we go to bristol um and i feel like the track has kind of hit a, a point kind of like i mentioned earlier where it's at a great state um not over applying the pj1 traction compound the driver is able to run top they're able to run middle they're able to run bottom they're able to run middle top middle bottom wherever they want really at this short track and it is so so cool to see so you know this weekend great racing all around and it just leads me back to the original point why did we put dirt on bristol you know why, why did we put dirt on Bristol? I feel like the series would benefit so much from just going to a dirt track. And even if we did it at a place that wasn't, we could even do it for a points race. Uh, there's dirt tracks that are would probably be waiting for NASCAR to give them a call to have a dirt race there. Eldora was really what we all thought was being prepared to eventually host a cup series race and i felt like if it did when it did it was going to be an amazing show because tony stewart knows what he's doing the uh, people out eldora know what they're doing and the fans know the show that they're coming to see when they go see a race at eldora and i felt like every truck race it didn't really even get old like i felt like it was a great show that was put on and we saw what tony stewart can do when he wants to put on his own show the srx had six races and it was a hit six times so not going to an actual dirt track for a dirt race, uh, I felt like just wasn't wasn't the right wasn't the right call um, in replacing Bristol as well because this would have been a different. I feel like this would have been a different conversation if we were like, you know what, we're gonna take one of Dover's dates and put dirt on it. Like, no, I don't think anybody really would have cared <laughs> if that happened. Uh, but Bristol, we love Bristol. We love the racing at Bristol every time they go there. So, you know, it's just uh, you, you question it sometimes. So. I love the idea that Tommy Joe keeps putting out there. Heck, if we're going to go to North Wilkesboro, I don't even care if there's dirt on it. Let's just go to North Wilkesboro and just have a race, you know? Just tear up, tear up everything that's there, put the dirt on it, uh, and let's have a dirt race. Um, so, you know, I would just, uh, something I've mentioned before as well, kind of my last uh, point here, is, you know, when we... When we as a sport, NASCAR is doing all these types of different things. All right, we're going to race in the rain. We're going to race on dirt. We're, we're going to do this that another sport, uh, you know, another motorsport does primarily. We're going to do this that another motorsport does primarily. Like, if we're going to do all these things, you know, I kind of relate it to the point. Like, what if IMSA came out and said, you know what? We're going to run the Charlotte mile and a half. Because we want an oval racer. We're going to run Daytona Oval. We're going to have a, a super speedway race in IMSA. You know, how would people take that? That would be interesting to see at once. But it would probably be a lot of chaos. You know, because they wouldn't really know what they're doing. Those cars aren't suited to do that. So when NASCAR comes and puts their rules and their cars 
on a dirt race on a track that isn't even really primarily meant for dirt obviously at bristol it's just gonna put on a weird show and i feel like if we do these dirt races we need to do them how they did how how you would do a dirt race like at eldora heat races you had the dnqs you had the lcq you had cutting the field down so there's not so many cars on the racetrack um but you gave everybody enough tv time in the heat races to where it felt like they did something at that event you had practice qualifying uh the heat races the lcq and a lot of names were made in those truck races uh people were tuned in uh to the heat races to the main event the main event not having long enough green flag runs to where the track goes crazy but also um having the track preparation to not make the track go crazy and have it only be one lane or have it be too dusty too bad it felt like all of those truck races at eldora just went smoothly like we didn't see you know that race have anything that you know have the discussions that we've had about knoxville this year discussions we've had about bristol dirt this year the discussions we have of all the stuff that happened at coda this year um at, at the Indy Road Course, you know, it's 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 been a weird year. It's been a very, you know, we kind of, at the beginning of the year on the podcast, if you've been a long-time podcast listener, I classified this year as the experimental year because we were supposed to be running the next-gen cars this year. We didn't. So here's an extra year, right? We make all these schedule changes for this year. So this year is going to be experimental. So this year... While we may have overreacted a little bit with a lot of the incidents that have taken place in the sport, um, it's all it's really an experimental year. Now, next year, if we come back to these same places, Bristol Dirt, uh, if we're racing in the rain next year for some point, uh, if we're putting curbs on places where there shouldn't be curbs, then we probably have a problem. Um, <laughs> because these are supposed to be learning experiences, right? And we've that's why every time there's been an issue this year, it's like, how many times? How many times is this going to happen to the point where we really need to change something uh, that's going on up top? So hopefully the optimism is we go to Bristol Dirt next year and the track is prepped correctly. Um, the event is put on correctly. We, we do this in the right way and we don't have any issues any big issues we hope that we go to circuit of the americas next year we hope that or i should just say any road course because it wasn't a problem with circuit of the americas it was the problem with that we left guys out in pouring rain and grouped up uh restarts with vision problems that every driver said they couldn't see and we left them out there and had some dangerous crashes on the long straightaway at circuit of the americas it wasn't a problem with circuit of the americas the event itself was great it was promoted great uh the tracks great facility haven't been there, but everybody said it was a great facility. Everybody said it was a good weekend until that Cup Series race. Until they messed up up in race control. And that's what we hope we don't have next year. We hope we don't have a New Hampshire incident next year where we're racing in the rain. We're going into turn one, you know, wrecking in the rain. Um, and we hope we don't have the Indy Road Course incident again where we're putting curves where there shouldn't be. Uh, mostly, you know, in the Xfinity Series race where five cars hit it on the first lap and somehow they expected that not to happen so the list can go on and on but what we hope is that we go into 2022 with a fresh start a new car and we don't make these types of mistakes we're going to kick it off with an event that i feel like is going to be a hit i think is going to be well it's not a points race um but it's really for the fans the clash has always been the show and when we talk about nascar kind of moving into the show business these are the races that are meant to be the show the all-star race and the clash these are the show business races maybe an exception with you know the daytona talladega races because those are super speedways and those are meant to put on a show but they're still races for points but these are meant to be the show races not the races during the season not the rules packages that we've been putting in not the you know, mandatory cautions we've been putting into racing. These are the show races. And that's why people tune in to the clash and to the all-star race. And that's why the clash and the all-star race didn't seem as special as it has before, because we've turned into the, we've turned the main NASCAR product into a show business to the point where it's like, well, what is the all-star race special for? If we're having an all-star race, every race, if we're having three segments, three, four stages, every single race, that's what the all-star race was special for. So what makes the all-star race special? 
Um, well, this year they said, well, we're going to have six stages and this and that and this and that. So we're getting to the point where we have to like overcomplicate the all-star race to make it special from the season because our racing during the year is so manufactured. If that makes sense, if I've, hopefully anything I've been saying has made sense, uh, I'm kind of just sputtering off here because they, we, uh, you know, unfortunately Tom Joe wasn't able to make it. So I got to sit here and talk for, wow, it's been 55 minutes. Um, <laughs> but you know, and then, uh, what was I going to say? The Clash. The Clash is a little different because before it did have more prestige. It was run under the lights, first race of the year. Then they kind of converted it to the daytime oval race. Then it just wasn't really anything because nobody really cared to do anything. Nothing made it special. Everyone just kind of sat around the whole race and then made their move with 10 to go. And then somehow still the entire field wrecked with 10 to go. So, you know, who, who knows? But now... We moved the clash to LA Coliseum. I think that's going to be a great event because it's going to be a hit. It's a non-points race. It's going to be great for the show, great for whoever decides to attend the race, hopefully a good amount of people. And the All-Star race returns to Texas this year. Who knows if they'll do something different. I don't like the All-Star race being at Texas, but you know what? That just means Texas doesn't have two regular season dates. So, hey, you win some, you lose some. But uh, looking forward to next year being... The year that we just can capitalize on some of the mistakes that NASCAR has made this year. And I'm sure they're aware of that. And I'm sure things are going to fix for next year. So that kind of winds everything that I've kind of rambled on with in the past 20 minutes. Back to the original point that Bristol Motor Speedway is a great track. One of the best on the NASCAR schedule. Should it be a championship race? I don't, you know, I don't know. Uh, logistically because you always have to look at things things logistically would that work bristol november who knows um i think the championship race should always be at homestead uh i think championship race in darlington would actually be kind of cool uh if we have two darlington races um championship race at darlington i mean heck i feel like that could be fun we have two darlington you know uh dates why not have the first one be the uh be the throwback race and then after that you just have the championship race there i feel like that'd be kind of fun or just rotate it rotate championship race i think championship race always belongs at homestead miami speedway but you know with what we've done the recent packages who knows you know does that put still on the show that we want it to um probably not does in the xfinity series but uh, you know, everything's based on the cup side so everything next year all these decisions that are being made are really for the cup series so um obviously atlanta turning itself into a super speedway is for the cup series for the next gen car to create pack racing at these mile and a half so what will we see um you know how will this work for the xfinity series how are they gonna you know have they even thought about how the xfinity series is gonna run on this track they're gonna be pretty fast um so it's gonna be very interesting to see how this pans out but like i said great race weekend at bristol we got las vegas ahead and it's going to be a lot of fun to see how the rest of the playoffs plays out for the Truck Series, Xfinity Series, and the Cup Series. So if you haven't listened to last week's show, Kyle Petty had him on. Um, such a great episode to listen to. Uh, so excited. I mean, it was so cool to have him on. I learned so much from that. And as far as future things as well, we're looking to have a lot of great guests on the show in the future. Potentially... You know, AJ Allmendinger coming on the show. A lot of people from, you know, the, the Charlotte Roval event we could have. So a lot of interesting shows that could be coming up uh, in the future. So glad to have you all listening. As always, make sure, thank you to Bet Online Balance 7 for sponsoring the podcast. And also Daytona Charity Shootout. I mentioned it on my Instagram story, but Daytona Charity Shootout was an, uh, an event I put on at Daytona. During the pandemic, at the very beginning of the pandemic, 2020, April 2020, this set off a lot of things for me as far as connections. It was an amazing event. We did it all for a great cause, and so many people showed out for it. We had so much support, and I was so thankful to be able to have that happen. Put on kind of another one uh, in December of that year, and I'm looking to put on the third annual Daytona Charity Shootout this coming November or December. Don't have a super set date for that yet, but we will soon. It's going to be a, an awesome event. We're going to have performances, great racers, a, a great show uh, for you to watch. And 
potentially participate in. So it's going to be a lot of fun. I love doing these type of things for everybody that supports just me in general, my Instagram, my media career, this podcast, of course, and we'll be doing it uh, always for a great cause. So looking forward to seeing you all there. I'll always have updates on that type of stuff on my Instagram or my Twitter or even here on this podcast. So again, thank you all for tuning in. It's been a great episode. Um, and Tommy Joe will be back next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.